Okay, it's good to see you all. Um, we had a great time restarting Sunday school this morning. Uh, we had a great turnout for the um, for the adult Sunday school. I think uh, from what I heard, because I was with the youth, you all had a good time and a good discussion. And for the youth Sunday school, Samuel and I had a great time too, <laughs> just the two of us. So we want to invite you all to come join us at 9.45. Some of you might be sleeping in. I know it's early. Um, but as we've talked about our church theme for this year, um, to go out into the deep water, to uh, to sense where God is leading and calling us. We want to be able to deepen ourselves in his word as well. So um, it was exciting to start that uh, back up and to do something new this morning. So we'll keep meeting here at 945. Youth will be in the library with me, and the adults will be here in the back uh, starting at 945 before our service. And so we'll welcome you all to join us for that. Um, I'm also excited because this morning we are going to start a new uh, sermon series. And the title of this sermon series is Worship in the Wilderness. Um, if you know me, you know one of the things I love preaching from is the Old Testament. I have to fight Daniel to like let us like do New Test or uh, Old Testament stuff because he he uh, we you know for the last year, other than a few Psalms, I think all the sermons in 2022 were all from the New Testament, and we felt that that was uh, because of topical ways that God was leading us. Um, but we are going to be looking at the passages in the wilderness for the next little while, starting in the middle of the book of Exodus. And so I'm glad to be back in the Old Testament, and we will, this will be a little bit of an intro to the series with just a few short verses that kind of gives us some context to what it was like for God's people to go through the wilderness. Because as we think about this, if we contextualize this for our lives, we're gonna see we go through the wilderness in our own ways as well. And what we can learn from God's word should be very helpful for us when we go through those wilderness moments in our lives as well. So I'm gonna read our uh, main verses for today. So uh, now that you've all gotten comfy and sat down, will you stand back up with me as we read today's passage? And out of respect for this being the word of God, we want to stand as we read these words. So you can read along with me. Um, it'll be up here on the screen, um, or you could take a look at your, your own Bibles. The version might be slightly different. But let's read starting in Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and is with us in the wilderness. 
God, I pray that you would open our hearts as we read about the wilderness experience for your people many years ago. And God, that in our hearts and our minds, we would have uh, just an open posture before you to receive your word and to see how you want to lead us and guide us when we experience wilderness uh, seasons in our lives as well. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. So we are going to be talking about the wilderness passages. And if you know anything about the first five books of the Bible, there's quite a bit of it. And if that's what we're going to do, this is going to be one of our main points. I don't want to give away too much once we get into it. But um, we want to start to kind of unpack and define what is wilderness. So I'm really asking, what's the first word or first phrase that comes to mind when you think of the word wilderness? Does anyone have any ideas? What you got, Jaden? Out of civilization. Out of civilization. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. What, what you got, Grace? A girl with crazy hair. You could just say a person with crazy hair. It doesn't have to be. I guess it could be anyone. Okay, that works too. Anything else? What else comes to mind? So here's what I love about Jaden's description. Being out of civilization. I think that's right. Um, this is out of order on the slides, Jer, so if you can find it. Um, I have a picture from uh, this summer. Ken has shared about it already, but Ken and Uncle Wesley and I, we went backpacking, and using Jaden's definition, we were out of civilization. No, uh, no Wi-Fi, which Uncle Wesley was complaining about incessantly. Ken and I were fine. We're like, this is why we're here. We want to be unplugged, right? We were out, definitely out of civilization. Um, and so I would say... That is, you can be out of civilization and experiencing nature or God's creation. And we had a great time. It was beautiful. But I wouldn't quite call that wilderness. And the reason for that is because I think the way the, the author uses the word wilderness in Exodus and Numbers and in the first books of the Bible, there is a greater uncertainty to what God's people are experiencing as they are outside of civilization. Does that make sense? So the definition's good, but there's a little bit more for us. It was like, we had certainty, at least I trusted in Ken to know that he knew the map and we knew where we were going. And uh, that proved to be true, so he did a good job navigating. At this point for God's people, they are, yes, they are outside of civilization, but they have no idea where God's leading. There's a lot of uncertainty, right? And so I think uh, if we think about this word wilderness, it's not just out about being out in nature, but really it brings a lot of uncertainty. And the phrase that really stood out to me in this passage what, that we just read, when Daniel and I were reading this this week and we were planning for this series, there was a phrase that really bothered me in this passage that we read. And maybe it bothered you as well. But in verse, where is it? In verse uh, 20, at the end of verse 25, it says that the Lord tested his people. And when I saw that, I thought, I just really don't like the idea that God might test me. And that's a, that's a concept of where we're tested, where we feel pressure. If we're you know, taking a test at school that we're not quite prepared for because we don't understand the material, we might feel some pressure or some anxiety. And here it says that God tested his people. That is an uncomfortable phrase for a lot of us. And that's how I felt when we first read it. And as I continued to study it this week, I think it's actually really fascinating when we unpack this idea 
of the wilderness being kind of a testing ground for God's people, or for anyone for that matter. And so that, hopefully that gives us some context to uh, what um, God's people were experiencing as they're going out, yes, beyond civilization, but into the unknown. When I went backpacking with Ken, I knew that after four nights, we would be back in a place where there was like running water and I could take a shower again. Because that was the one thing I missed being out on the trail. It's like, no showers for four nights. This is disgusting. Like, how am I going to do it? And actually, it ended up only being three. So it was even better. But, um, but then we knew where we were going. Here for God's people, there is some uncertainty for what the future holds. Does that sound familiar for us, given everything we've experienced in our world in the last couple of years? It's really a joy to restart Sunday school again this morning, which is something we haven't done for several years. We had our English ministry prayer meeting during the, the 9.30 hour before. But really, we haven't done Sunday school officially since long before the pandemic. And the pandemic of meeting together on Zoom and then slowly transitioning back to, to worshiping together in person, it has been a long process with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of no idea where we're going. And it feels really good to at least have some certainty of, hey, this is where we believe God is leading us and people feel comfortable coming and showing up. And so that makes me feel better. When there's uncertainty and I don't know like what's on my schedule outside of two weeks, like I get really freaked out because I'm such a control freak and I want to know. And so for God's people, they had just experienced something really amazing that we're going to get into in a moment, but there's a lot of uncertainty ahead. And for us in our lives, not only have we experienced it to a great deal uh, from going through the pandemic, but for each of us on an individual level, I think we often feel a lot of uncertainty and we can feel like we're in the wilderness too. I forgot to put this on the slides, but anytime we do a new uh, sermon series, um, it's a good time for us to remind ourselves of our church vision and mission. And so if you know our church vision, it comes from uh, the book of Luke in chapter 4, where it talks about uh, how Jesus has come to preach the good news to the people. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah, so that we would be healed and set free. Our official wording of our church vision is that we would be healed and set free by Christ Jesus, right? That we would have our lives changed. And then our mission, church mission is that we would have our lives changed by God, so that we can help others experience the same and be sent out to share that good news with others. And so if our vision as a church is to be healed and set free by the grace of Jesus Christ and to have him change our lives, that can't only be true when we're inside of civilization, so to speak, but a lot of us have gone through our own personal wilderness experiences in a lot of ways, and also collectively as a result of how different our world's been over the last couple of years. And so to really be a disciple of Jesus, it can't just be dependent on good circumstances or comfortable circumstances, but we want to see what God's word has to instruct us when we go through the wilderness ourselves. Uh, maybe you've heard, this is the history major in me that's, uh, you know, that speaks. I actually didn't do very well in my history major in college. But one thing I do remember is this old phrase that you've probably heard if you've taken high school history, that, you know, those who forget history are, are condemned to repeat it, right? And so, really, when we look back on the historical narrative parts of the Bible, which the book of Exodus qualifies, there is so much that we want to learn from. So much so that the Apostle Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read 13 verses to you from 1 Corinthians that kind of captures why Daniel and I felt God leading us to do this, this sermon series before we get into these verses that we just read. 
And so when the Apostle Paul is talking about the importance of the history of God's people and what we can learn from it, he says this, starting in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what the Apostle Paul is saying as the Corinthian church is trying to get established how to worship God, how to live in their relationships amongst one another, he's saying, look, we can learn from what has happened in the history of our people. And so for us today, when we experience our own wilderness experiences, there is so much wisdom that we can gain from the word of God, from the book of Exodus. Now for me, I just love narrative stories because they're simpler. Um, Daniel's a lot smarter than I am, so he loves all the uh, Apostle Paul, the arguments and the logic and the rhetoric and the reasoning. And I'm like, my mind can't follow that. Like, get me back to the stories. Where are the stories? Like, I just want to learn from the stories. But the, like, the significance of just these six verses that we've read in Exodus, I think are very important for us for the very reasons of what we just read in 1 Corinthians. So we may remind ourselves of these verses because it seems like a big deal that the Apostle Paul wanted to share this warning with God's people to say, hey, these things that have happened in our history are for our benefit, and there's a great deal we can learn from it. So in the verses we read, we're going to talk about three things today. These will be our three points. We're going to define what wilderness is. We're going to talk about what is, what is the wilderness. We've kind of already done that a little bit. Jaden did a great job helping us with the, with the definition, but we've, we've kind of done that already, but we'll go a little deeper into it. And then we're going to answer two other questions. We're going to see what does man, humanity, what do we do in the wilderness? And then we're going to finish by seeing what does God do in the wilderness? So those are the three points that we're going to pay attention to in the verses that we've read this morning. So first, what is wilderness? And this is where we need to get some of the context for where these verses that we read are coming from. So when we start in verse 22 that we read, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. This is very important for us because this shows us the context of what God's people have been through. We're starting in verse 22 of chapter 15. If you look at what comes before it, because we should always know that so we don't take God's word out of context, the first 21 verses of Exodus 15 are very distinct within the book of Exodus. Why? They are songs of praise that God's people are singing because what? They've just been set free 
from the slavery they experienced for generations in the nation of Egypt, and then as they had left to go and start kind of a new life, when the Egyptian uh, pharaoh changes his mind and wants to recapture them and he's chasing them, what happens? God splits the Red Sea. We've sung about that. We sang about it in the, the worship songs last week, right? He, God splits the Red Sea and his people walk freely on dry ground and then the seas swallow up the army that is chasing them. And now they have this opportunity to start anew, right? Um, I was going to say more about if you've ever seen The Prince of Egypt. It's a fantastic movie that kind of captured this, but most of you all are too young for that movie, which makes me really sad. So uh, I won't use that too much as an illustration other than to say, go watch the movie. It's a great picture of what happens in the Bible where Moses is leading his people out of slavery. Now, that's a big deal because the reason why there's 21 verses of a song of praise is God's people have been through crazy times, very difficult circumstances. And then they experience this incredible, like natural, like miracle where the water parts and they're able to walk through on dry ground. And that's important because what it shows us is they have, in a big way, experienced God's faithfulness and his grace when he made that way for them to walk through, like, very miraculously on dry ground. It's not, that they, it's not that they've never experienced God's goodness or God's leading before, but now, after that, they're in a place where now they have to figure out what to do next, right? And so that's where they find themselves, using Jaden's definition, way outside of civilization, but also with a great deal of uncertainty ahead, right? And so that's where we talked about wilderness. It's not just being out in nature or being away from things, but it also involves this idea of testing where you have to figure out, like, what's, what's going to happen? Um, and so uh, that's where I was saying, in the difference from when I went backpacking with Ken and Uncle Wesley, we knew that there was some risk involved. I had just recovered from being COVID positive, and I was coughing and wheezing while walking, you know, these massive amounts of miles each day. But we knew where we were going, and we knew the risks. For God's people, they've experienced this incredible miracle, but they don't really know where they're going, and they don't know necessarily what's out there. And what, we've, what we read about and what we're going to see is now they have to figure out where are we going to get water from, and next week we're going to see where are we going to get uh, enough food that can nourish us, right? And so for us, we... We knew that there were wild animals out there. So if you've ever gone backpacking before in an area that involves bears, you have to have these like big bear canisters where you put anything that has any kind of odor, not just food, but also your toothpaste, your deodorant, your soap, because the bears have such strong senses of smell that if you have anything that's got a sense of smell, they might enter your camp at night and then that could bring about some danger, right? For God's people, they don't really know where they are and they don't really know what's out there, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And that's where this great deal of uncertainty comes from. And so they're, then they find themselves with this challenge that they have to overcome. So if we keep on reading in verse 22, they went into the wilderness of Shur. Depending on your version, you might have a different name for where they went. But it's, if you look on uh, maps of, of kind of where they went, um, usually it's in the back of your Bibles. But they're out in a place that they haven't been before, right? And so um, the first challenge that they come across, we read about at the end of verse 22. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Um, when we went backpacking, 
There was water everywhere. There was no excuse to get thirsty. We had our water filters, which is very interesting considering the verses we're going to read later. We learned a lot about filtering water. I probably would have drank the water without a filter because I think it looked fine, and then I would just deal with whatever health consequences come with it. But it looked pretty nice, right? And we were walking. Like when Ken planned this trip, I was like, we're backpacking in the middle of July, and you said it's somewhere outside Fresno. I'm just imagining like 100-degree days. No, the weather was like really nice. And it was warm, and there was, but there was plenty of shade, and there was fresh water everywhere, right? If we understand the history of where God's people are coming from, this is in the middle of the ancient Near East, and it's just desert. And they've been going for three days with no water, right? And they can't find water. You can imagine what that does to their psyche and how they start to feel about like being out in the wilderness. If I had, if I went through that, if I had no water, like if Ken had planned this trip and there was no water for even like two hours, I would start whining like a baby. Let me tell you, that's a spoiler alert for point number two. This is what we do as humans when something becomes uncomfortable, right? And so for God's people, this is the first big challenge that they tackle. Yes, they've experienced this incredible miracle of which I'm sure in the moment they're very thankful for, but now what happens right in front of them, they're worried about, okay, what are we gonna drink? You need water to survive. And that's the first challenge that they come across. And so what this shows us, if we could start to apply this before we move on to the second two points here, and we see what we do in the wilderness and what God does in the wilderness, what we see here is that wilderness involves this time where there are questions that we have a hard time answering, and there's some uncertainty to figure out, right? Um, This is probably way over many of your heads, but many years ago when I was in college, there was a famous show on TV called Man vs. Wild. And it was, there was this guy named Bear Grylls, and what they would do, it's a TV show, so some of it was fake, so you just have to bear with that, but what they would do is they would drop him off in the middle of the wilderness, and he would have to figure out how to survive, and he was ex-British military, so he would do all these crazy things, he would find these like really scary looking bugs and find a way to eat them, because it was like, you know, I just need all the protein I can get, because they would drop him off with no food and no supplies, and really it was a, it was a fascinating TV show, right? But there would be challenges that he would have to figure out where he didn't know the answer at the moment. For God's people, the challenge is we're in the middle of a hot and dry desert. There's no water. What do we do next? And for us, if we could pause here and ask ourselves, what kind of wilderness experiences have we had where we have a question that hasn't been answered and we're not quite sure how to figure out what the solution is? Perhaps some of us might be experiencing that right now. Like if we're towards the end of our high school career and there's a college we really want to go to, but we don't get into it and we have to figure out what's next, that might be very painful for us, right? Or if there's a job that we're trying to get and we really want that job because we think it would fit, fit us perfectly, but then it doesn't happen, then we have to figure out, okay, what's next? We will go through wilderness experiences in our lives and perhaps some of us are going through them right now And that's where, as the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, there's so much we can learn from God's people. Because the first lesson that we learn about handling the wilderness that we might experience comes up in our second point this morning. And that is what we're going to answer the question, what does man do in the wilderness? We're going to read the verses, but the short answer is man in the wilderness complains. And that's because I, I like... I resonate with this because you guys might think I'm a pastor. I like to smile and talk to people and be kind to people. 
But if you really know me, I'm a whiner. I'm a big whiner. I complain about a lot of things, right? When people ask me, like, it's kind of a random question, but you know, people will just randomly talk about the weather all the time. Like, hey, it's really cold today. It's really hot today. Like, eventually, if you're having a long conversation about it, someone might say, like, what's your ideal range of temperature? And I'm like, 64 to like 70. Anything outside of that, higher or lower, feels super uncomfortable to me. Can it just be like those six degrees all the time? Like that's, that's really Dan at his core. Like I'm a big complainer. I was raised on Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin, if you don't know the cartoon, like he's, you know, in this old comic strip, he's this little kid who complains all the time and I feel like I learned a lot of, of bad habits from him. But anyway, like I am a big complainer. And I think many of us, when we go through things that are uncomfortable, when we go through our own wilderness experiences, that is our temptation. And what Paul is writing in Corinthians is he is saying, look, be careful not to grumble, not to complain. So let's read about what happens next, starting in verse 23. So they've been walking around, they've been in the wilderness, they've had this incredible experience of God's faithfulness, but now they find themselves without water, which is definitely a life-threatening kind of deal. And it says, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Mara is the Hebrew word that has this connotation of bitterness, right? And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? When Ken planned our backpacking trip, he did a warm-up trip that I missed because I was out of town visiting family. And so him and Uncle Wesley and another uh, brother who used to come to our church who was planning to go on the trip but couldn't join us, they went on a short kind of preparation trip up in the hills up above Gilroy in Henry Coe State Park, right? And when they told me about the water situation when they were there, like I told you how when we went backpacking, there were nice streams everywhere. When they told me about the water situation, I was like, I'm so glad I didn't go with you guys because I would have complained like no other. When I heard about the water wasn't cold, nor was it clean, and I've actually gone fishing up there, so I know what it's like, and I've had to filter water there before, it's disgusting. But if you're dying of thirst, that's all you've had. And so if you think about for, for the people of Israel, they've been walking for three days, it's super hot, and they, get to, they finally get to a place with water, and so of course, like, they want to drink it, but it's so bitter that they can't. And so that's a, that's, that's a difficult situation for them to figure out. And what do they do? They grumbled against Moses, or some versions might say they complained. And that's because Moses, as their leader, they're expecting, look, you let us out here. Like, where is the water that we're going to drink, right? And that shows us that as humans, when we go through the wilderness, our first inclination many times is to complain. And yet that's what the Apostle Paul is saying do not complain um, in his warning uh, from what we can learn from this story, right? And so I mentioned earlier in these verses that we read, we haven't gotten to it, but in verse 25, when it says that God tested them in the wilderness, I really don't like that phrase because I don't like the idea that God might test people. But as I was reading some commentaries about this passage, the way that one commentator put it when talking about their grumbling about not having water he was saying, we might not be comfortable with the way that God tests us, but this is a way where if you think about it, the people are testing God. They're testing God from the sense of they expect Moses, who's God's mouthpiece, who's the leader for them, who kind of speaks for God in many ways that we'll see in later passages. They're expecting that he'll just fix it. And many times when we complain, what we are really saying is, God, why aren't you doing things differently? 
Why aren't you changing my circumstances to how I want them to be? And that's what shows us that in the wilderness, life can be uncomfortable and we have our own way of thinking. But perhaps God has a way of showing uh, what he's going to do and it's on us to try to trust him. But that is their test for God at this point. He's saying, they are, they are saying, God, you've got us out here. And they say this to Moses eventually in later chapters. But they're really asking, how do we know that you're trustworthy? How do we know that you're going to take care of us? Where will we find the water that we're going to drink? If we zoom out and think about the big picture, part of what I'm thinking is, like, guys, like, you kind of just walked through the Red Sea. Like, that's probably one of like, the top five miracles in the Bible. Like, it might be very uncomfortable now. Can't you trust that God knows what he's doing and that he's going to show you like, where the water's going to come from? But then when I think about not having water for myself for like two hours, I realize I can forget about anything else in that moment because when something's uncomfortable, like, that's all I want to fixate on. And I imagine that's what God's people were experiencing as they're trying to find this water out in the wilderness. And what that shows us is we forget that our God is faithful and has provided for us before. And it might be uncomfortable for us in a moment, but we can trust that he knows what he's doing and that he's trying to show us how faithful he is. I saw this incredible uh, uh, tweet this week from a pastor that I, I read a lot of his, his things. And um, he had this uh, meme slash video where uh, he said, um, there was this video of a man rescuing a sheep out of a ditch. And the caption said, uh, like speaking for himself, God, if you get me out of this one, I promise I'll never do this again. And then it says, also me, and the video plays. And the man rescues the sheep, puts the sheep up out of the ditch, and before the man can climb out of the ditch, the sheep has fallen back down into the ditch again. And that shows us that as humans, when you use the sheep and shepherd metaphor, if God is the good shepherd, as John talks about in his gospel, we see that as sheep, we so easily forget the ways that God has provided for us. And God's people are forgetting that here. They had just walked across the Red Sea. Like, go look at a map and look at the Red Sea, like for a moment, and think like, that's an incredible, incredible miracle that like boggles our minds. Like if you go out, even if you look at like Amaden Lake, it's like, you know, if you could walk across that on dry land, that would be a big deal. But let alone the Red Sea, like that's crazy. But as soon as they're dying of thirst, they realize, they start to wonder, does God really know what he's doing? Well, he certainly did like, you know, a week back when you were walking across our Red Sea. But I realized just like that sheep that falls down in the ditch, I often forget the ways that God has been faithful to me in the past. If you've never experienced God's faithfulness in your life, then this is going to be a hard concept for any of us to, to grasp if we think about how do we trust God with uncertainty. And hopefully God has helped you experience some way where he's provided for you, where he's blessed you, where you've been in a circumstance where you thought there's no way like there's any hope and then God has shown you otherwise. If we've experienced that in our past the same way that God's people did walking through on the Red Sea, Part of the testing grounds is for us to trust that God knows what he's doing and that he's trustworthy. But as humans, as uncomfortable as we might be with the phrase that God tests his people, we test God all the time. And it's important for us to admit that. Because from a self-centered mindset, we might think, I don't want God to test me. 
But then we also at the same time say, God, where's the water? How are you going to provide for me? We test God way more than we think. And that's something that is really important for us to understand about ourselves and to see how God is so patient in all of our complaints and all of our grumbling. Because like the Israelites, like I would not have survived this journey, guys. Like I would be the worst like traveler if like, you know. Uh, one thing Ken and Wesley said, because I was the youngest guy on this trip, they were like, uh, Ken's a nice guy, so he didn't say this. But Uncle Wesley was like, wow, Dan, I'm surprised you didn't complain as much as I thought you would. And I said, no, this guy really knows me. Like he, kn he knew what he was getting into. And I think he just thinks like for younger people who haven't been through the, maybe the, he's hiking in Argentina right now, so he's kind of crazy, but like he's been through the, the really crazy hikes before and, and you know, having just been sick, he knew I wasn't really physically prepared for it. But he was like, wow, you, you didn't complain as much as you thought. And I thought, really? I think I've been complaining this whole trip. Maybe you just haven't heard me, right? But it shows us, that as humans, it's very easy for us to complain and lose sight of the big picture where we forget how trustworthy God is. And that's what we do as humans many times. When we go through uncertainty, we want to know the answer right away. And there is an answer that God is going to provide for his people, even in these six short verses. Now, we don't know how much time has passed as we're reading this, and especially if they're walking around for several days dying of thirst. Of course, it was a serious thing but we get to see how God provides an answer. And that leads us to, that'll lead us to our final point. But before we get there, if we can admit that we test God often, where we wanna know, God, what are you doing? Where we have a hard time trusting where he's leading or what he's doing, or we wish our circumstances in our lives were a little bit different, can we ask ourselves, what is our first reaction when we are in the wilderness? Are you like me, where it's easy to complain? Are you like the Israelites, where we fix our eyes on what we can see right in front of us and we lose sight of the big picture? By no means am I saying it's easy to zoom out and trust God with the big picture. But when we keep reading, we see how faithful and, uh, and how providential God is, as this passage concludes. And so that leads us to come to answer our final question. We've seen the wilderness is something where there's uncertainty, and it's outside of civilization, yes, but there's uncertainty about the future. And then we've seen how in the wilderness, for us as man, we often complain and grumble as our first reaction. What does God do in the wilderness? Let's read starting in verse 25. And he cried to the Lord, this is Moses, because the people have complained to him, right? He cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So what happens? They take their complaint to Moses. Moses brings this question before God, and he says, God, this is what my people are dealing with. And then depending on your translation, it might say a log, it might say a tree, it might say a piece of wood. And I'm kind of wondering scientifically like how this happens. As I've learned about water filtration systems, they're, they're pretty cool because that's my question too. I was like, okay, I'm going to see this muddy water and put it in here and it's going to filter all the bad stuff out and I can trust it. And I thought, I don't know about that. And then as soon as I tasted it, I was like, okay, it's pretty good. I wonder what actually happened in this like, you know, ancient Near East time period. Like, was it some kind of magical stick that suddenly purified all the water? Whatever it was, they couldn't drink the water before, but God provided a way that then they could drink the water, right? And this is a spoiler alert for our series 
and seeing what happens with God's people in the wilderness, the cycle of coming across a challenge and complaining and God providing happens over and over and over again throughout the wilderness passages. And if you think about it, that happens in our lives as well, where we go through something that's difficult for us. We don't know what God's doing. We might have a difficult time trusting him. But if you believe in him, if you've made him your savior, if you are walking with him and you have a relationship with him, I am sure you have seen how he has provided a solution for what you're going through. Maybe not on your timetable and maybe not the exact solution you're hoping for, but God has shown you in some way how he provides. And that's what he's showing his people here. Just as they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, now in a moment where they're very thirsty and wondering when are we, are we actually gonna survive this or are we just gonna die of dehydration, God provides this solution for them to have drinking water. And then he says something curious after that, as we continue to read in verse 25. It says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And this is a fascinating response it might prompt some big picture apologetic questions for us about like how God would speak to his people in this way and how he would provide this kind of healing that he talks about for them and not for the Egyptians. And there's a lot of reasons for that that you, we could go into. It's a rabbit hole I don't want to go down right now at this moment. But what it shows us here is God is the purpose of God's testing is he's trying to show how faithful he is and trying to help us see. We might go through wilderness experiences in our lives, but God wants to show us how to be faithful over and over and over again. Um, if you've been a part of our church for a while, you know that we've experienced a lot of tragedy over the, during the course of the pandemic. We've seen young members of our church leave us uh, from this earth uh, long before we would have expected it. And uh, it's amazing because recently in our church leadership, uh, we have deacons who serve in various areas of our church. And so we have this rule where you're only allowed to serve as a deacon for a period of time and then you have to take a break, one, to rest, and also two, to give people, uh, other people a chance to serve in various capacities in our church. And if you look at three of our new deacons, you know they've experienced tremendous loss in their families over the last couple of years. And when I see their faithfulness to want to serve God, even though their earthly circumstances have not gone the way that anyone would hope or anyone would want them to, it is incredible to me that they have this desire to continue to serve God. And that shows me that they are people, they are brothers and sisters who have learned we're going to go through really difficult experiences in our lives, but if we understand what is most important, meaning being with God in heaven, they know they will see their loved ones again someday, and they can continually continue to faithfully serve God here on this earth. It's an incredible picture of faithfulness, not to be overcome by the earthly tragedies that we experience, though they are difficult, to see the big picture and to see how God is a God who provides what is most important and how he wants to strengthen our faith in the wilderness, in the difficult times. So that is what we see God doing. He answers by 
Yes, putting us to the test, but in a way where we get to grow in our faith and see, we may go through wilderness experiences in our lives, but there is a big picture that God has control over, that he is trying to show us how faithful he is. And it's amazing because I've seen this faith in the brothers and sisters who have experienced this tragic loss in our church. And it, it just encourages me. In moments where I might feel uh, just like depressed in a moment or just wondering what God is doing, I can pause and I can think of his faithfulness and the examples that I see from these brothers and sisters in our church and from many of other, others of you who have shown me what it looks like to persevere. And that's how we don't lose track of what the big picture is all about. And we see how in the wilderness, God provides, the, God provides water and he really provides what we need. And we'll see that happen over and over again. If you zoom out and think about scripture, in this passage, in order to give drinking water to the people, God provides a log or a tree or a piece of wood. How we know that God has the big picture in mind and our best interest is that this is not the only time where God uses a log or a tree or a piece of wood for our ultimate need. And we know that because we know that many years later, when Jesus was crucified on a piece of wood, it is the way that God provides the ultimate salvation that we need. Because we can say, That is how God chose to deal with sin, by casting all the sins onto Jesus. It's a way where we know we can have this relationship with him. If we, like the members in our church, have lost loved ones that we dearly miss and and are, are wondering about when we'll see them again, we will know that we will be able to see them up in heaven. None of that happens without the assurance of salvation that we have from the cross of Jesus Christ. And so God providing water for his people here in the desert It's a shadow of what we see that he does in the grand scale of things when he gives us his son as the salvation that we needed for our sins to have this living relationship with him. That is the ultimate big picture where we can zoom out and see our God is faithful. We in our humanity will test him and grumble against him and he will test us to grow our faith as well. But we can know that we can trust him with the big picture. And I think that's an amazing parallel for what we're going to see later on when we, get to, uh, when we get to other passages in this series, but especially when we think about the cross of Jesus Christ and what it represents. We may not know the certainty of where God is leading, and we may have complaints or questions about it in the meantime, but our God is a God who provides and out of his great love and care for us. And so uh, as, we, um, as we start this series, I want to um, just encourage you, read through the book of Exodus if you get a chance, and start to take note of what God is doing in the lives of his people. And we're going to continue to see how these themes that we've been introduced to today are a way where we get to see that God, uh, that God uh, is with his people in the wilderness, and as the title of the series suggests, that we can learn as Christians who have had our lives changed by God, we can learn what it means to worship in our own wilderness as well. If we're meant to be healed and set free by Christ Jesus, and that's our church vision, it can't only be when we're in civilization, it's also got to be when we go through the wilderness experiences in our lives as well. And this is where Paul speaks so wisely in saying what God's people went through in the past is something we can learn from 
where we don't want to test God, but we want to trust in his timing to see how he is growing us to experience the wilderness in a way where we know that he loves us and he's with us. And that means that we can endure all things.